Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Well, good morning. Um, I want to begin by telling you about uh, a man by the name of John Bunyan. I don't know if, if you have heard of him. I, I suspect you have. He was an English writer, a Puritan preacher, and he is best remembered as the author of the, the Christian allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. And probably most of us have read that at, at some point or another. If you haven't, you need to. Um, it, it, it's an important book, especially for us Christians. But John Bunyan, because he was a Puritan preacher and not a member of the Church of England, he was told to quit preaching, that uh, he was not uh, an authorized or sanctioned pastor. And he was told that if he didn't quit, he would be thrown in prison. And he knew that if he went to prison, that his wife and his children would be left destitute. Um, be, but he also knew that he had to preach the gospel, it, that it was, it was God's call on his life. And because he refused to stop preaching, he was imprisoned for 12 years. And he wrote this from his jail cell. To be separated from my wife and poor children has constantly been oppressing me, like having my flesh pulled from my bones, in part because I love them so much, but also because I can't stand the thought of the many hardships, miseries, and deprivations that my poor family must experience." I am especially concerned about my poor blind son, and if he were to die, it would tear my heart out. Yet I must remind myself that I am all in with God, even though it tears my very soul to be separated from my family. I understand that I have caused this condition, bringing down such misery on the head of my dear wife and children. Yet I know I must do it. I must do it. Now, in our text, Jesus is teaching about the cost of being one of his followers. He is telling us that there is a high cost to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, Jesus says, It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or Satan, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what, I, what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell." But are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. 
but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, in Matthew's gospel, and this is just kind of a quick review of last week, Matthew has one purpose, and his purpose is to show and affirm that Jesus Christ is king. His goal is that there be no question in anybody's mind that Christ is the king. So when we come to chapter 10, we have met the 12 disciples, 12 men who have said, Christ is our king. They have given everything. They have sacrificed everything. And Jesus takes them and he trains them and he sends them out into the world. And in verse 24, we find this generalized teaching on the subject of discipleship. What it basically means to be a, a subject of the king. Now, I say this to, to us here in this audience. When you became a Christian, a follower of Christ, you should have understood, someone should have made it clear to you that to be a follower of Christ should cost you everything. That you, whether you, you said it or you prayed it or you thought it, you should have this understanding that as I accept Jesus Christ, he is the Lord. He is the master. He is the king of my life. And I submit myself to his sovereignty, to his lordship over my life. Now, if you didn't or don't understand that commitment, you very possibly are not a Christian. You are not a follower of Christ. Because if Jesus isn't your Lord he can't be your savior. You have to, the, the two are just opposite sides of the same coin. And so we need to understand that. I, there is a great quote that I, I came across. I don't know who the author of it is, but it says, it doesn't take much of a man to become a Christian, but it does take all of him. And that's really what it means to be a Christian. It means that all of you, every bit of who you are has to be invested, surrendered to being a follower of Christ. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean we're perfect and that we never mess up. But our heart's desire, our intention is to be completely surrendered to Christ. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, 24, Jesus says, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be like his teacher and the servant like his Lord. Now, as I said last week, that is the, the bottom line, if you will, in discipleship, that we are becoming like Jesus. Now, if we are like him, we have to understand that we're going to be treated like him. Verse 25 says, if they have called the master of the house the devil, how much more shall they call them who are in his household? You know, the more we become like Christ, the more we are going to be treated like Christ. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound very inviting that, you know, why would I want to sign up for that? But what we have to understand is that's the fact 
And being like Christ means that we are going to be treated like Christ. Then Jesus gives us several characteristics of true discipleship. And this morning, we're just going to look at one of them. We're not going to try and get through all of them. But the first trait of a true disciple is that they don't fear the world. In verse 26, Jesus says, fear them not. Verse 28, fear them not. Verse 31, fear them, there, fear them not, therefore. But what he's... He's saying is we are not to be afraid of what happens in the world. Why would we be afraid? Well, because from six, verse 16 all the way down through 23, Jesus says, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. Verse 17, you're going to be delivered and beaten in the synagogues. 18, you're going to be brought up on trial before kings and governors. 19, you're going to be delivered up to trial. 21, your family will put you to death. Verse 22, you'll be hated by everybody. Verse 23, you're going to be persecuted. So there's cause to be afraid. And so Jesus is saying, despite all of that, don't be afraid. Now in Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord shall be safe. Now, our fear of what people think or, or what people might do to us suffocates our ability to be effective in our witnessing. It strangles evangelism because when we are afraid of, of what might happen to us, we naturally withdraw. We naturally back away from that. And, and there's this mindset that floats around in people's minds where they think, well, I don't want to create a problem. I, I, I don't want people to think negatively of me. And I certainly don't want to be persecuted. And I really know I don't want to be killed. And so what tends to happen is we, when, when we get pushed, when we get challenged, when, when opposition rises up against us, we go silent. And most Christians sit on the sideline when it comes to ministry, when it comes to stepping up for the cause of Christ, because we're, we're afraid of what might happen. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have hardship, but don't be afraid. And, and so what we are to do is we are to respond opposite. When instead of being afraid, we step up and, and become bold. Being like Christ means we're going to be treated like Christ. And if we're treated like Christ, we're going to be challenged. And we're going to naturally be afraid. And so instead of holding back our testimony, instead of going quiet, instead of shutting our mouth, we instead need to understand that that's when we have to step up. Jesus says, don't be afraid because kill, fear kills your testimony. Being afraid to speak the truth, being afraid to be confrontive when necessary is, is not going to be helpful. Now, 
Jesus said it over and over again, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Even after he rose from the grave, one of his main messages that he kept saying to the, the disciples, even though they knew he had risen from the dead, he kept telling them, don't be afraid. So the number one thing that we need to get is fear not. Don't be afraid of the world. And then he tells us why. The first thing in verse 26, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Now that is like, what? What, is that? what does that mean? It simply means that one day God is going to take the lid off. God is going to reveal what is not obvious now. Everything and all things will be made obvious, will be, will be made open. That's not the way it is now. Followers of Jesus today are, are looked on as anti-intellectual, that, that we're, we're often viewed as being an unkind or, or unloving or, or certainly intolerant. And, and we, as a result, we get pushed to the margins. You know, if you look out in the world, the world is successful. It seems like wicked people prosper. Christians get persecuted. And the more you stand for righteousness, the more you are going to be hated. One day that's going to change and the truth will be made known. God is going to show who the real heroes are. When the lid comes off, when, when things that are covered will be revealed, then what's going to happen is God is going to, to make clear what what is the right thing and evil people are going to find out that they have judgment coming to them now understand this we need to live with an eternal perspective if you and i get stuck worrying about what the world is going to say to us or or do to us then we're looking at it from the wrong perspective what we need to do is we need to look at things from the way God looks at things. That's what matters. Jesus over and over taught that we have rewards. Revelation 12, just for an example. And behold, I am coming <clears throat> quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Jesus promises us rewards so that we will have this eternal perspective. He promises us a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, a cr an incorruptible crown, a crown of rejoicing. So what he's doing is he's trying to give us an eternal motive, an eternal perspective, so that we're not looking for value from what the world has to offer. We're looking for value from what comes in eternity. We must confront evil in our society. We are to be salt and light. We, that, that is our, our, our charge, our, our job to this society. 
We don't need to be worried about whether it's going to make us popular or not. We need to be looking for to do what God has called us to do with an eternal reward. It's a hard perspective to have, but that's how it has to be. Now, we have to be willing to trade the momentary popularity for an eternal reward. That's what it comes down to. Someday God's going to look at the record of each of our lives and God's going to expose everything. And and so those who look like they were the winners in life are going to turn out to very possibly be the eternal losers. And those who were the losers in this world, who, who were persecuted for their faith, are actually going to turn out to be the eternal winners. That's the plan. So we aren't afraid of what the world does or what the world says because we're looking for the eternal reward that comes from the hand of God. Now, verses 27, verse 27 says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. What he's again, he's he's telling us that these things are going to be revealed. Now, he says, I tell you all this. In essence, what he's saying is I'm telling you this secretly now. But I want you to tell it publicly. And what I'm whispering in your ear, what I'm telling you quietly, shout it from the rooftops. That was the way they got the word out back in those days. Someone had a message, they'd go up on the rooftop and they'd say, hey, everybody, listen. That, that was how it was done. Well, this is, you know, in, in today's day and age, we use things like Facebook and YouTube and television and radio. That, that's, that's the housetops of today. What Jesus is saying here is there are no restrictions. There's no secrets. Christianity doesn't keep secrets. We don't have secrets. We don't have secret handshakes. We don't have secret, you know, this and all of that kind of stuff. We, we don't do that. We put it out there pure and clear and straightforward. We say what needs to be said. So that's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't hide anything. Don't pretend that there's stuff that, that, only certain people get to hear. This is a message for everybody. And then he's also saying that we are to speak the whole message. Hold nothing back. No secrets, no partial messages. I think sometimes there's this tendency for us to hold back because we're afraid that we might offend a non-believing person. But the, the problem with that is that's assuming that we're the ones that are saving people. We aren't saving people. God saves people. Our responsibility is to be present, to, to present the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. And people need to hear that they are bound for a place called hell, that they are separated from God. And unless they repent of their sins, they, they are bound for eternal destruction and that they need to fall on the mercy of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. Christ alone is salvation.
And people need to understand that. And people need to understand that they, that they will need to surrender their lives. We're not doing anyone any favors when we tell them, well, if you want to be happy and you want to have all your problems solved and you get to go to heaven and everything's going to be terrific. Well, yeah, who doesn't sign up for that? But if, they're, if people don't understand the cost, they can't be saved. Jesus also says, in essence, what I whisper in your ear, shout from the rooftop. What he's saying is, say what you hear from me. You tell them what I told you, nothing less, nothing more. You know, make it public. We have to get out of our little church and get out into the world and tell people who need to hear the message. It's a message for the world. It's not just a little click. What good is it if we keep telling each other the same thing? You know, Jesus loves you. You're, Jesus died for you. Okay, we know that. People out there don't know that. It's our job to get the message out there. It's, you know, that, that's why we're here. Now, as you're sitting there, you're, you might be thinking, well, wow, you know, we're going to really catch some flack if we do that. Yeah, there is a price for this. We need to understand that. And that's verse 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot cure the soul, but rather fear them who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is it that can kill our bodies? People can. The worst they can do, though, is kill you. Okay, you know, and, and all right, I, I, again, I, I feel like I need to say, I'm not saying let's start up a club of martyrs, you know, let, let me be the first. I, I'm not doing that here. What we need to understand, though, is that there, are, there is something far worse than dying for our faith, and that is failing our Lord and Savior. You know, um, Jesus, or excuse me, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and what? To die is gain. In other words, don't fear people, but rather fear the God who is able to destroy both your soul and your body. Here's a practical application. I, I, I hope this will bring it down to where we live. Let's say you have an occasion in a conversation, whether it's with a family member, a coworker, somebody like that. <clears throat> you have an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and as, as it's coming up, you can just kind of feel the tension building in you because you know, I really need to talk to them. But down inside, you're like, ah, I really don't want to do this. Oh, man, I, you know, what are they going to think of me? And, you know, it could lead to problems at the workplace. And I, I'm really nervous. I, I'm really scared about it. And so as a result, you shut your mouth. All of us have had situations like that come up. What we did in that circumstance was we feared man more than we feared God. Now, when we really fear God, and what to fear God means is to have this incredible reverence for him so that we are so, so overcome by who God is, we're, we're just 
blown away by him to the point that, that we're, we're just completely consumed and, and God is just so, so fantastic, so righteous, so holy, so majestic that, that we, we find ourselves just kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, God, you, you are so great. Well, when we really fear God, when we really reverence God, we're going to be excited to talk about him. We're not going to hide that. And so whenever we opt out of witnessing, whenever we shut our mouths, what we're doing is we're fearing man more than God. And that's wrong. That's sin. Because it's God that determines the destiny of our souls, not man. Now, what he is not saying, and I've already kind of alluded to this, is if you've ever goofed up that way, I have. He's not saying, boy, you're done. I can't use you. You're out of here. What he's saying is straighten up. Get your perspective right. Do right the next time. Don't fear humans because we worship God and we don't worship men. You know, here, here's a way of thinking about it. I would much rather fall into the hands of men who hate me than a God who is upset with me. And th th hopefully that, that makes sense. And, and here where it's talking about the soul, um, he's, it, what he's talking about is that's the real substance of who we are. Our bodies are going to be garbage. Some of them already are, even though they're still honest. You know, but, but the reality is, is some of us, you know, all of us are going to die. Every single one of us. And so our bodies are throwaway. They're disposable. Our souls are eternal. And we need to know that and we need to keep that perspective now, in, in verse 31, it says, fear not, therefore. Well, why? Wh what is therefore? Therefore, we go back. That, that's telling you go back to the previous thought. And that's verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And, you know, if one of them falls to the ground, your father knows about it. And, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered. What he's saying here is, we all understand sparrows are, are little birds. And in Jesus's day, they would catch these little sparrows. and They would make burritos and tamales and good stuff like that out of them. Uh, you know, they, they would wrap them up in tin foil and they would put a little barbecue sauce in there and some salt and pepper. And they'd, they'd put them on the, the gas grill and, and roast them. They were really good. All right. So... <laughs> They would eat them. They were finger food. You know, they were snacks that you couldn't go down to the local Casey's and get a, a, a burrito or a slice of pizza. You would have a little bird that they would roast on a fire and you get two for the equivalence of a penny. That, that's what this is communicating. They were insignificant, unimportant little animals from human perspective. And yet God cares enough about them that he's aware when one of them drops. God knows about that. Next time you mean little kids are shooting them with BB guns, remember that. 
Now, he also says that the very head, the hairs on your head are numbered. The average person, according to Google, has about 140,000 hairs on their head. Some more, some less. Now, notice that it doesn't say God counts them. It says he numbers them. In other words, each hair has its own number. So, uh, oops, there goes 317. Uh, oops, there goes 44. You know, every hair is identified on our heads. What's the point of all of this? God is concerned about little birds that are insignificant from our standpoint. God is concerned even about the number of hairs on your head. So if God is concerned down to that detail, then don't be afraid. God has got this covered. You are more valuable than little birds. You are more significant than the hair count on your head. Don't worry about things because God has got it taken care of. If God keeps track of little birds' deaths and God keeps track of hairs, then God is going to, you know, and birds don't even have souls. But God cares, and God cares about you. Jesus is, in essence, saying to you specifically, you're my disciple. You have made him king in your life. You have said, I submit to you. I want to follow you. And when you face the world, you need to understand you're going to run into hardships. You're going to have hard times. But the more like him you become, the, the greater God will be pleased, but the more the world is going to hate you. But don't be afraid, because in the end, you will triumph. It will be revealed that you were one of his disciples, and, and you will have an eternal reward. Keep that eternal perspective. You know that old saying about they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That is a lie from hell. Amen. That is not biblical in any way, shape or form. We are to be heavenly minded, completely uh, consumed with heaven and God. And that's when we become more useful on this earth. You will overcome the fear of man, the more you draw close to Christ. Understand how highly God values you. Now, we, we have an opportunity to really make a difference in our world when we step up and become the followers of Christ that he has called us to be. God has called us to give him our everything. It will cost you everything. It will cost you your life. But God is worth it. And the eternal reward is worth it. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to follow you at any price, to be your servants, to be your subject, to be your pupils, Help us, Father, make us faithful, first of all, to, the, to step up and just be the, the disciplined person that you, you have called us to be. 
Help us to say what you have told us to say and to speak the truth in love, regardless of the consequence. Father, help us to become more like you so that the world can see you in us. Be honored and glorified by our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.